Are either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. What a treat we have in store for you today. You get to listen to some old coot talk about how great things were back in his day. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like fun? Welcome to the screening room. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And the Screening Room Podcast is sponsored by Marcus Crosswoods Theater. With their 70-foot-wide ultra screen featuring Dolby Atmos surround sound and Dream Lounger recliners. Let's start with the latest holiday film. It's a grumpy Grinch plotting to ruin Christmas for the village of Whoville. You've heard about that, haven't you? The latest adaptation of The Grinch. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. Today, we will do mean things, and we will do them in style. I know what to do. I'm going to steal their Christmas. Tell me, George. How do you feel about the old uh, the old TV special, How the Grinch Stole Christmas? You're just you're just poking the bear. That's what you're doing. You're poking the bear because you know I I'm I'm a little miffed about this movie. Here's the thing. You agree? You, I do. The original Grinch is do. 25 minutes of perfection. Yep. I mean, How the Grinch Stole Christmas is perfect. Uh, from 1966, it's the the TV classic, Dr. Seuss, and. We've already seen the live-action version with Jim Carrey, which was almost 20 years ago. Wow. Woo! Can you believe that? And now it's back to animated, and but it's having the same problem when you take a 25-minute TV special and and try to you know, inflate it into an hour-and-a-half movie. Based, of course, on a, a picture book, a children's right. book. So, again, about 32 pages with a sentence, about 32 sentences. Yeah. So you have to add so much to it without somehow without taking away from what made the story so simply touching mm-hmm. and simply effective. Now, mm-hmm. not to say it can't be done. We've seen it done about 10 years ago. Yeah, Spike Jones with uh, with Where the Wild Things Are. And I remember before that movie came out, you were irate because that was your favorite book as a child. I loved it. And, and I'm, I'm far from the only one. You no, know. oh, of course. So what Spike Jones did with that with that story was a masterpiece. It's a brilliant, amazing film. It's not a kid's movie, though. Right. That is the, the catch-22, yeah. because he did make it. He made it so wondrous and so emotional and moving out of a great, great children's book. So it can be done, but you're right. That is not exactly children's fare. This one is definitely still for families, still for children. But when the title is Dr. Seuss's The Grinch, you, you can't really have it stand on its own without comparing it to the original. Of I course. mean, a lot of times we say, look, a movie's got to be able to stand on its own. But when it's a, a remake, an outright remake of this, well, it's, it's, you've got to compare it to the original. You almost have to. And you're laughing at me. because, <laughs> <laughs> But it's, it's, it's just so true that, I mean, if you haven't seen the original... First of all, take care of that quickly. Um, <laughs> now, if you came into this movie without seeing the original, um, you know, it'd be a fine time waster for the family. But when you look at what it does to make it 80-some-odd minutes, or feature length, uh, it just it just dilutes from what made yeah. the original story so good. Well, I think, you know, you start off with Boris Karloff, uh, not just as the voice of the Grinch, but also as the narrator. And the and, and then you've got uh, Ravenscroft. What's his yeah. name? Who Thurl. does? Thurl Ravenscroft, Ravenscroft sings the who songs. sings the song, yeah. and and you know, and you go from that to Benedict Cumberbatch, talented person, 
right? And then uh, and Pharrell does the song yeah, as well, Pharrell, right? Well, Pharrell Williams does. He just does the narration. Who does the song? Yeah, it's a bit of a. It's a bit of a hip hoppy version, so it's it's really not a complete remake of the song. They have some of the lines in there. It's just that but, it's just that it's so much softer. It's yeah. so much softer. And on the one hand, I, I I understand the argument that says, "Well, look, I'm not even trying to compete with Boris Karloff. I got you. That's fine. Yeah, that is all right. That is totally fine." My problem, but he's not a mean one, Mr. Grinch. That's the thing. Right off the bat, as soon as he lets that big yak and that dog in his bed, you're like, "Well, you're not mean at all." Exactly. That is one of the problems that just undercuts the I whole thing. I think your thing. heart is perfectly normal sized. Well, let's start right there. Here's the thing: they do <laughs> they, in, in the narration they include some of the original wordplay from Dr. Seuss, which is of course fantastic. But then they try to add their own and imitate it in that same style, and you can just no, that's 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 not it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, but. But you're right. They tell us, again, that his heart is two sizes too small, but yet then they have to add another backstory as to the real reason why he doesn't like Christmas. Right there, I'm throwing the red flag. (laughs) No! We know the reason. It's because his heart was two sizes too small. We don't need any more than that. I know we do now because we have some time that we have to eat up. But so right there. That cuts, that undercuts what we're going to see later. Mm-hmm. And, and you make a very good point right there. We see him do little act, the Grinch, do little acts of kindness for his dog, Max. Mm-hmm. Max is back. And some other creatures. So right there, he's not the total misanthrope no. that, the, that the original Mr. Grinch was. Again, undercutting his turnaround at the end. That's right. There's no nauseous super knot there. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that is absolutely right. So, you know, just from the beginning, it's it's diluting what, in the end, makes that message so heartwarming. Not that there's anything against wrong with the message. It's not. It's a perfectly good message still here today. Although, when we get to the end with Cindy Lou Who, they do spend an awful lot of time talking about it at mm-hmm. the end and talking about his change of heart and really hammering it home. And it's, it's a message that didn't need that much hammering in the original and still shouldn't need that much hammering. But, of course, again, you've got to fill up the time, so they add a lot to it. And to me, all this addition does is just subtract. Um, there are a couple of good visuals. There, there's some, some sequences where Cindy Lou is, you know, like sliding down, sledding down the snowy terrain of Whoville. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it's almost like a little bit of a motion simulator. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, ooh, that's, that was nice. <laughs> I enjoyed that. And uh, Saturday Night Live's Keenan Thompson does a voice of this, I guess you'd call him a neighbor of Mr. Grinch, somewhat living somewhat close to him. And he uh, is able to squeeze out some humor out of some of his lines. But I thought the whole thing was just uh, really incredibly flat, especially if you are familiar at all with the original. If you're not, if your kids are so young and they haven't, uh, haven't seen the original, they'll still, you know, they'll still get, get the message. They'll probably get it even more because it's so spoon-fed to you. But uh, anybody that's familiar with uh, the original, I think this is just a big... Big, empty disappointment, and I should probably get off my soapbox and, <laughs> and stop ranting. But, but you kids should get off his lawn. <laughs> Somebody had to say it, and that's the Grinch. <laughs> Next up is the film that continues the story of young computer hacker Lizbeth Salander and journalist Mikhail Blomqvist find themselves caught in a web of spies, cyber criminals, and corrupt government officials. It's the girl in the spider's web. I'm a fan of yours. The CEO who beat up two prostitutes, but then got acquitted in court yesterday. Step me down! 
I'm transferring 20% of your cash to these two girls. I'm calling down to security. The rest, I'm transferring to your wife. Account number. Don't. Five, one, nine, one, two. Take your child and leave. He won't hurt you again. Who are you? I was cautiously optimistic about this because while Fetty Alvarez is no David Fincher, mm-hmm. uh, I'm a fan, actually, of his of his films, and they tend to have very believable, strong female leads, so I thought that was a good, uh, maybe a good choice to to carry on this franchise. And then also Claire Foy, I've, I've only seen her in a handful of things, but she's always been very, very good, and often in, a, in an unlikable way, which is what Lisbeth Salander requires. So I was cautiously optimistic, but I do not like where the movie went. Yeah, Fetty Alvarez, if you don't know he did don't breathe uh, and soon to be don't breathe too i just read this week that he says that don't breathe too is a definite go and they also did the uh, evil dead yeah, remake which, which we both liked a great loved deal. it loved it very much and so those were both horror this is not and he's certainly a good director this mm-hmm. is a fine it's a fine spy thriller um but in the end it's a disappointment because sort of what you allude to what they do with this character in this story in compared to where it has been. I mean, this is now, this is the, the fourth book in the Millennium series mm-hmm. that's, uh, that's, that's been made into a movie. And it's natural after this time, some of the freshness is going to wear off. Sure. But I think what they're also losing with this movie is some identity of what made the character, specifically the character, and by extension the, uh, the stories, so unique and compelling. Uh, Lisbeth was a, is a very, has been a real anti-hero. Yeah. You know, with a very mysterious story and uh, kind of drew you into her. What's what's up with this? Right. With this girl. Mm-hmm. You know, and here, unfortunately, the, the film is, again, totally satisfactory, but it follows a formula that we've seen many times over. It just becomes too much of a, I, I hate to say it because everybody's saying it, but it becomes too much of a James Bond film. Yeah. It just, now, re- it, you know, it was, it, it, what they've always been in the past was almost an antidote to James Bond exactly. films. She's this hacker in Sweden, and she's also become a, a vigilante, kind mm-hmm. of a, a writer of wrongs, mm-hmm. and she's given her latest impossible mission to steal back this computer program called Firefall that uh, has been developed by this weirdly tall uh, computer guru <laughs> played by Stephen Merchant. Hello, ladies. Hello, ladies. No, I love that guy. But he is. He's, he's weirdly tall. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the program lets the user have access, tap into all the world's missile defense systems online. So that would be a lot of power in mm-hmm. one user's mm-hmm. hands. And the uh, file cannot be copied, but it can be moved. So when it's stolen by the Americans, they get a hold of Lisbeth to steal it back. And that puts her in the crosshairs of a lot of people that might want it, might want her dead. And then her old pal, Blomqvist, mm-hmm. uh, comes back up to help her sort out not only that, but some secrets from her past that we didn't know before uh, start popping up. So you've got all these things going on. Yeah, it's spies and it's cyber criminals and, you know, all these gadgets. I mean, now she's pretty much living in the Batcave. Right. And she has a new thing, a new gadget on her belt for right. every little situation. No. And that, yeah, that's the sort of, sort of thing that becomes... Uh, disappointing because that's not like you said what the character started out as being it was kind of an anti an antidote to all that plus when you move her into a world like that I mean the James Bond I mean that's very core the whole James Bond world is a male fantasy and that's not where this character should be viewed as a male fantasy no Uh, so agreed yeah so that that's another problem with it Um, but again all the 
so many of the elements are perfectly fine. I mean, there are some nice visual sleights of hand, couple little tricks to the story, but... Also, i got to say, right, Claire Foy, I don't think she really delivers much, you know? She doesn't... As you mentioned in your review, I mean, Numi Rapace was uh, breathtaking and and just a badass in in the original series, the original three. But then Rooney Mara came in, and she she gave her a a, a mysterious quality without losing... I mean, the character is Mm antisocial, right? And she was more than happy to stand at the end of of the Fincher one and watch the bad guy burn to death, Mm -hmm. even though she was able to help him. And he looked at her as if you're going to help me, and she just wanted to watch him burn to death. So it's an an interesting character. It's like you said, it's very much an anti-hero. And I don't feel like Claire Foy... Uh, was able to really latch on to that. No, I don't think she really found anything uh, unique for her to bring to the character. She She's just kind of reduced to just maybe some hurtful staring and being quiet. And then, the you know, the ass-kicking, which is fine. Sure. Some of the action is fine. But, yeah, nothing really... And she's really, little, so she, she yeah, physically she fits physically the Physically fits the part. But you're right. Numi Rapace was just, like, small but menacing. Yes, she was and menacing, then, yeah. yeah. And Rooney Mara brought a, 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 more of a mystery to the mm-hmm, character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think Claire Foy really brings any... She's not bad, but she doesn't really bring anything new or anything uh, really distinct for her to the character. Uh, and, and the movie also has some... Uh, some convenient plot points when you're looking for clues and you look about 30 seconds and, oh, there's the clue I need. Yeah. And when you turn on the TV and, oh, the news is just saying exactly the information I want to hear as soon as I turn it on. Those little things like that, very convenient, falls into this uh, to this spy thriller kind of uh, by the numbers at times. Again, not that it doesn't have some some uh, fine visual sequences here and there, but, but all in all, this series, when you go all the way back to The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and the others, it's been more than just satisfactory. Right, yeah. And this one just really is satisfied with uh, with just being that and, and not memorable, and it's not, and that's why I think kind of I look at it as a disappointment. Sure. Next up is one that we think might be a surprise at the box office this weekend, the story of two American soldiers behind enemy lines on D-Day. It's Overlord. Soldiers out there, and there's only four of us. Find out what's inside that compound. What is this? A thousand year army. These thousand year soldiers. What do you do with those people? Yeah, after those two big movies we just talked about this weekend, I have a feeling this one might sneak in and make a couple of bucks. I agree with you. I think so. I think it's got a lot of buzz for, you know, a not particularly big budget Mm -hmm. horror film, which you may not know from that description. Um, And in fact, the truth is, you might not realize it for the first, I don't know, half hour at least of the movie <laughs> because they do a very convincing job of it's it's a war film it is a war film and you start off with a, a platoon in the air they need to land they need to make their way to a church that the nazis have taken over in a rural town in in france and they need to get to the church because in the on the top of the church tower 
is a radio antenna. And if they can disable that, then they can disable Nazi communications, which means that D-Day can, you know, land safely and history will be resolved as it has been. So it's, um, you know, it's just one of those. You, you've got this small unit. You need to follow them into danger. It's very much filmed like a, like a war film. Mm-hmm. Not the big, giant, epic, like, Saving Private Ryan's, but one of those sort of intimate yeah. suicide mission types. And, uh, and you know, they do a, a good job of what you find in films like that, or sort of um, iconic, specific types, archetypes mm-hmm. for the different soldiers so you can tell them apart. But at the same time, in this, in this case, they, they give them all a character art. The performances are very good. And it's not until you're fully invested in the suicide mission that you you finally realize that it's not really the tower at the church you need to be worried about. (laughs) It's the basement. Ooh, and what's going on down there? Yeah. We don't want to give away anything, but uh, some nasty business is going on down there. And that's when it turns from a war movie into a horror movie. It is a horror movie. And, you know, and it's funny to me that this doesn't happen more often, that there aren't more horror films based on war, because, of course, war is hell and hell is horror and it all works out. But there aren't that many. Um, There are a lot of Nazi zombie movies. (laughs) And I think that a Nazi zombie in almost any movie is welcome. Mm -hmm. The the movie Overlord is, is a good reminder that Nazis are never very fine people. And also that, in fact... It's known now that that they did do a lot of medical experimentation on oh, prisoners. Yes, yes. So this is this is just a an you know a, a vividly imagined recreation of some shit that actually happened. And at the I'm s- not saying the zombies came out of it. I'm just saying that this is the kind of horrible thing that they did do. And at the same time, it manages to get in some themes, some messages, some morals about the state of war and humanity without beating you about the face and neck. Absolutely. No, I agree. I mean, you know, the uh, kind of the image is really, uh, you know, the the monster within, uh, which is which is pretty common in both horror films and in war films. But the the overriding theme is that is that you don't have to lose your own humanity Mm -hmm. in the face of of war. Yeah. Um, But you're right. They don't. I, I mean, they don't oversell that. Uh, and it, and it really is part of the character arc, which is nice to see, especially in the two leads. So Wyatt Russell, who Kurt Russell Kurt, and, and Goldie Hawn's that's son, right. yeah, uh, he does a great job as the corporal who who gets stuck with this ragtag bunch, but he's really a, a, an explosive expert, and he doesn't really want to be with these losers, but he's going to just take charge. <laughs> and he's more grizzled, and he comes along, and then to counter that, right, Giovanna Depo plays. This is his first battle. He's just out of boot camp, and, and he, he and he was. You might have seen him if you saw Fences. Right. He plays the the adult son, yeah. the son that mm-hmm. that that they fight with about baseball, um, and and he plays you know the good guy, and you see these two kind of battle each other, but then Pilu. Asbeck. Oh man, he's so good. He is so good. If you if you want to, I first really he got on my radar a few years ago with a foreign film called A War. Yeah, it's a great movie. He is fantastic in it. He was also in the um, misguided uh, Ghost in the Shell. Yep, he was yep. Charlotte Johansson's blonde-haired uh, partner, partner there. But he's always good. Yeah, he and is he, always he cuts good. A striking figure. Well, it's funny. So he plays the the Nazi. He plays the Overlord. Basically, he plays the Nazi in charge, and. Um, he he almost comes off as a kind of handsome Michael Shannon, which is <laughs> creepy. I mean, he just he just drips sinister through yeah. the whole movie, and and the uh, 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 the filmmaker has the most fun 
in terms of prosthetics and gore with this character. Mm-hmm. And and when it turns, it turns in a big way. But you know what's also interesting is that it, is that it, it doesn't just turn horror in a horror way that you're kind of used to, but also in kind of a Marvel supervillain sort of a way. Like a lot of what comes about, you're like, I feel like this could have happened in a Captain America movie, um, which is fun as well because it's just sort of satisfying in that good versus evil kind of way in a lot of ways. Uh, but it's not it's not campy, you know. It's it's really well executed. It clearly yeah. doesn't have a huge budget, but it does what it can with what it has, and the performances uh, elevate everything. By a pretty much relatively unknown director, Julius Avery, who right. really has done. No, Very he's, little. He's he's won a lot of awards for a short, but yeah. he hasn't. Yeah, he's he's certainly an unknown. Yeah, so this could uh, this could put him on the map. So we're definitely looking forward to seeing the how this does because we've detected a, a lot of buzz mm-hmm. about this movie that might turn into some dollars this weekend. We will find out for Overlord. One more major release this weekend. It's based on the true story of writer Lee Israel, who fell out of step with current tastes and had to turn her art form into deception. It's called, Can You Ever Forgive Me? Quite by accident, I find myself in a rather criminal position. What criminal activity could possibly involve it, except a crime of fashion, of course? I'm embellishing literary letters by prominent writers. I love his writing. Particularly clever, don't you think? Caustic wit. (laughs) This is quite something. He's a wonderful. I thought so, too. Name your price. You were looking at one month's rent. What are we gonna do? Gamble, shop, drink. <laughs> Ms. Israel, I have a couple of questions regarding the last letter I purchased. Uh-oh. What seems to be the problem? I can't say that I regret any of my actions. In many ways, this has been the best time of my life. Well, the first thing that jumps out about this movie is Melissa McCarthy already getting a little bit of awards buzz for a very, very different performance. I think people forget sometimes that she was nominated for an Oscar. Yeah. Uh, Probably the first time most of us knew who she was (laughs) for her absolutely, unbelievably brilliant turn in Bridesmaids. But it's funny because so many people, you know, she's not everyone's cup of tea. I still wonder why. But anyway, a lot of people will point to, oh, she's so loud, she's so boisterous, she's so rude, and this... Boy, she dials it way she down. She really, really does. She does. She plays curmudgeonly misanthrope, and uh, she really, she couldn't do it any better. I mean, she's absolutely magnificent in the the role of a woman who is so pissed off. She was a one-time bestseller, mm-hmm. but she writes biographies, yeah. and she writes biographies of interesting, strong women, and she wants to write one about Fanny Bryce. And this film is set in the 90s, and nobody wants a book by Fanny Bryce, but also the other problem is that because she has continued in her sort of you know, misanthropic, don't sell yourself, don't play the game type of ways, she herself never became famous. So nobody wants a book by Lee Israel either. And she finds herself very, very down on her luck. Yeah, and she's the type of person, since she's not uh, a warm or friendly person, she's not the type of person where everybody wants to do her any favors. No. You know, so no. She, yeah, so she finds but, herself needing money badly. Yes, she does. And and one of the things that um, that really makes this movie work it's the middle of the afternoon, and she's sitting by herself in a dingy bar drinking. And in just walks this ray of sunshine, Richard E. Grant. 
and he plays uh, he plays a character who they have a lot in common. He's basically just a drunk and a hustler, but he's very happy. He's re- he's not even resigned. I mean, this is the life he chose. He does it well. He enjoys himself. And the two of them together, first of all, it's really funny to see Melissa McCarthy in a role where she is not the vibrant, high-energy character, uh, but he is so charming. Richard E. Grant is so charming, and they are such a fun, odd couple uh, that the whole movie just takes flight as soon as the two of them are together. So what she winds up doing is forging letters from famous people and selling them to people who will pass them on to collectors. So mm-hmm. like she she may, she gets the most mileage uh, letters that she forges that are from Noel Coward and from Dorothy Parker. Mm-hmm. It's such a fascinating writerly topic uh she because <laughs> she's good at it she's very she's proud of herself i mean she <laughs> she does a better dorothy parker than dorothy parker is well, what she says you know, the funny thing is if you look her up the real person she still says she always said that's still the best work she's ever done those letters those yeah. fake letters yeah and it's well it's interesting too because uh, in the in the uh, credits at the end on one side of the screen is a typed piece of paper that tells you who the producer is or who the music director is and then the other screen it just tells you facts about Lee Israel and the, the, <laughs> my favorite one was that in a, a biography of Noel Coward published two of her forgeries and then had to eventually in a reprint <laughs> take them out like yeah. that's how good they were yeah and it is it's a great you know, it, there is such a, a longing in the film and in this character for a time when communication and written and spoken words were valued in mm-hmm. this way. Mm-hmm. And there's also this longing for a time when a strong female was was revered. Again, it, it doesn't preach it. It's just a really powerful sense. It's really a film writers with and Nicole Hollis Center co-wrote it. Yeah. Who is a writer director and she's she done did. things like Enough lovely said, and amazing. Please, said, please give. give. Very she's, good. And it's and it's. It's more, I think, acerbic in a way than what she usually writes, but it still has a lot of kind of her, it's very much her wheelhouse. And it was directed by Marielle Heller, who did Diary of a Teenage Girl a couple years ago. And she's also also doing the new Mr. Rogers movie starring Tom Hanks. Yeah, so uh, definitely something to look forward to there. And something to look forward to here this weekend, uh, if you want to check out this movie. Again, something very different for Melissa McCarthy. But I would not be surprised to hear her being uh, awarded, or at least awarded, considered come awards time. Let's put it that way. And a couple of limited release uh, to mention. We didn't get to see these, but both of these were reviewed by a couple of our other writers uh, on our website at madwolf.com. Matt Weiner and Rachel Willis. Matt reviewed Charm City. It's a documentary about the last few years of really unparalleled violence and turmoil in Baltimore. And uh, he really, really enjoyed it. He did, and especially as sort of one in a number of great documentaries that can give you a fuller picture of race relations and politics and urban unrest in the United States. He thought that it really fit in well. Right, and the other one is uh, about a singer in New York getting a grim diagnosis that puts her life and dreams into perspective. It's Sarah Jessica Parker starring in Here and Now, and our critic Rachel Willis uh, would say pass on that Yes, she did not care for it. She said it started off with a decent premise, but it just became kind of maudlin and, and, uh, and didn't go where it probably should have gone, and the performances were pretty weak. So again, you can read those uh, written reviews on the website at madwolf.com. So let's go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. First up on home video this week, one that we still think is one of the best of the year, Black Klansman. This, I would say, is Spike Lee's best film in years. Years and years. And it's the kind of movie that makes you appreciate the how 
powerful a director he is because yes. he the storytelling weaves in and out from popcorn muncher to horror to uh, you know this fluid very experimental indie to to yeah. it's and it tells a fascinating story that's the thing not only that but it's an incredible true story at the base of it uh, about a, an african american this is back in the 70s an african american cop who infiltrated the kkk with help from a white cop who stood in for him in person when he went right. to these meetings. And the, the, the African-American cop is John David Washington, Denzel's son. Mm-hmm. And then Adam Driver yeah. is the white cop. They're both great. Uh, the movie is it's fan, it's fascinating and fantastic, and it's really, it, it really resonates. It does. It really it does. resonates. And it's it brings incredibly it right up, well made. Yeah, brings it right up to today. Uh, and definitely, definitely one of the best of the year, I think, so far. Also this year, uh, also this week, I should say, Incredibles 2 came out. A lot of people loved it. I think both of us thought it was a disappointment. Uh, yeah, a little bit. I mean, I think all of the world did love it. They don't agree with us. Uh, but <laughs> I, I I, thought it was fine. I, I thought too. it was fine. I thought it was fine. Um, perfectly fine for the kids. Sure, why not? But I thought it missed some opportunities yeah. to be really, really great. That... And, and really... And really... Um, emotionally compelling in the way that so many Pixar films are sure. and yet are still very entertaining for the family. This one, I think, had some opportunities to go places that it didn't, kind of pulled up safe and just has a, it's, per, it's perfectly fine, but yeah. I thought it could have been, thought it could have been more. Also out this week, Papillon, the remake of the 1970s classic from Dustin Hoffman and Steve McQueen. This time you get uh, Rami Malek, who's hot right now, yes, playing Freddie Mercury and Charlie Hunnam. Who's in, hot all the time. <laughs> in the Steve McQueen part. You know, this one, again, it's perfectly fine. I think they they try, what they try to do with this, of course, it's an incredible escape movie, based on maybe a true story, right. maybe a fictional uh, <laughs> fictional memoir. But anyway, it's still a, a harrowing story. And this version tries to tell it from more of a, a spiritual level, not just a physical level. What was it, what was it about this man's, spiritual makeup that made him that that enabled him to persevere when so many other people crumbled it tries to go there it's not completely effective in going there i give it points for trying it's still a a perfectly fine movie with fine performances and some of the some of the uh sequences are are gripping and harrowing but what it tried to do in swinging for the fences that way didn't quite get there but uh but a fine take on it uh, nonetheless and also disney's christopher robin is out this week. It's the the mix of live action and the um, computer animation. Yeah, Pooh and the gang show up Pooh in, and the gang. in uh, Ewan McGregor's life. Yeah, they're He's in the a... subway with the uh, with the balloon. Yep, Ewan McGregor's Christopher Robin, all grown up, and he needs to revisit his friends from childhood. And it, it again, uh, we go. It's perfectly fine. Yeah, but it settles in a weird place between a a child's movie and like grandparents looking back at the good old days. Yeah. Um, I think your kids are going to be so antsy. They are. I think um, they and are. It's it's sad. The movie is is quite sad. Yeah. There's not enough poo. There rarely <laughs> is, though. More poo. More poo. So again, not certainly not horrible, no. but uh, not a, not a great movie. Disney's Christopher Robin. Looking to next week, we get closer to the holidays. Some more big movies coming out. Fantastic Beasts Two: The Crimes of Grindelwald. Grindelwald. Indeed. So we'll see Widows. How. Widows. Could not be more excited about this movie. Great cast. Steve McQueen. Oh, yeah. Director is back. Also, Instant Family. No. I'm sorry. Did I say that out loud? <laughs> We're thinking it, but uh, <laughs> hopefully we'll be proven wrong. And actually, one I just saw the other night, Boy Erased. Whew, very effective. Very effective. And uh, we will talk about that. 
in more detail next week. Until then, always love to keep the conversation about movies going um, on the interwebs. If you want to get in touch, it's easy to do that. Twitter is Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram. We're Mad Wolf Columbus. The main website for all the written reviews, plus our other podcasts, the horror movie fr- uh, podcast called Fright Club, can all be found at madwolf.com. So until next week, the Screening Room Podcast is a presentation of the Columbus Radio Group and sponsored by Marcus Crosswoods Theater. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but... I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs>